0: Before Colin reads today's scripture passage, I want you to imagine the circumstances under which it was written. Philippians is a letter written by the Apostle Paul to a church that he had founded in the Greek city of Philippi. He writes to a congregation that is near and dear to his heart, a people who have supported him in his mission and who are very concerned for his welfare with good reason. For Paul writes to them from a prison cell, facing the threat of execution. Though Paul clearly understands his situation, he writes not out of concern for himself, but for this church. He wants to express his love and gratitude, and he also seeks to give them encouragement, for he knows that they are struggling with tensions within and troubles without. To that end, he tells them to live their common life in a manner worthy of the gospel and urges them not to be intimidated by their opponents, but to be of the same mind, the same love as Jesus Christ. Hoping to give them courage, he reminds the Philippians that our citizenship is in heaven, and it is from there that we are expecting a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. He also gives them an extraordinary set of final instructions. Let's listen.
1: If you'd like to follow along, uh, open to page 198 in your pew, or pew Bibles.
0: I recommend that.
1: If you feel like it. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, my beloved. I urge you, and I urge Syntyche, to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you also, my loyal companion... Help these women, for they have struggled beside me in the work of the gospel, together with Clement and the rest of of my co-workers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Do not worry about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, beloved, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is pleasing, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence and if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Keep on doing the things that you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, and the God of peace will be with you. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to
0: God. It's almost as if Paul can no longer contain his feelings. The words pour out of him, and his affection is almost tangible. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, my beloved. Paul's great love for this people moves him to urge two of those beloved, Euodia and Syntyche, to be of the same mind in the Lord. We don't know about these women. We don't know who they were, or we don't, and we don't know who the loyal companion was whom Paul asked to help them, nor do we know what prompted Paul to write this. But it is clearly that he thinks highly of these co-workers who have struggled beside him in the work of the gospel and equally clear that he longs for them to be at peace with one another. But it is the words that follow that always leap off the page at me. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Rejoice? Paul is in prison, facing death. He may never again see this congregation so dear to his heart or any congregation, and yet he tells them to rejoice and to do so always. How can he write these words? For that matter, how can we take them seriously? There seems to be very little cause for joy in the world lately. One natural disaster after another, hurricanes, earthquakes, fire, and more fire have filled our news and overwhelmed our minds even as we struggle to make sense of that which is senseless, a rise in racism resulting in violent clashes, a mass shooting, increased tensions between nations that threaten not only those countries but the world, a government so divided that it seems to be doing more harm than good, and our own very real personal struggles. About what can we possibly rejoice? Why would Paul write such a thing? Listen again. Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always. Rejoice, he tells them, in the grace and love of God and Jesus Christ, who though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness. And being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death even death on a cross. Paul is able to, endure, to rejoice under very triumph circumstances because of his relationship of the one who lived and died so that we might live. A relationship so precious to Paul that he has given up everything for it, even his liberty and possibly his life. For Christ's sake, he tells the Philippians, I have suffered the loss of all things, and I regard them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. It is in this faith that Paul lives, in this hope that he suffers, and in this love that he rejoices. And he wants the Philippians to know this same joy. Now, Paul is not advocating or encouraging them to adopt a Pollyanna attitude toward life, nor is he advocating an early form of positive thinking. He's not telling them to smile, be happy, for he knows that they will not always be happy. What he wants for them is not an emotional high or a warm, fuzzy feeling, but a deep and lasting confidence in the presence and power of God. In a sermon on this passage, Dr. Benjamin Reeves offers this insight. Joy is a worldview, a perception of God, a reality that generates hope and endurance in affliction and temptation or ease and prosperity. Because joy enables one to see beyond any particular event, good or bad, to the sovereign Lord who stands above all and ultimately has control over all. Into to words that Paul writes near the end of his letter. I have learned to be content with whatever I have. I know what it is to have little, and I know what it is to have plenty. In any and all circumstances, I have learned the secret of being well-fed and of going hungry, of having plenty and being in need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. And therein lies the key to rejoicing always, the strength that is ours in Christ, a strength that allows us to perceive the presence and power of God even under the most difficult situation. Karl Barth once said, Joy in this world is always something, in spite of, is always in spite of something. It is a defiant nevertheless. Though he is in prison, though he may die, nevertheless. Paul rejoices. I have been reminded of a memorial for a dear friend that Don and I attended recently. We knew Dr. Raylinda Brown as a talented musician and a gracious friend, but she was also an amazing educator whose impact was far-reaching, and the sanctuary down at uh, First United Methodist Church in Redondo Beach was just full. We came to this service grieving her loss, just looking at her picture on the cover of the bulletin made me want to cry. And yet as family and friends shared memories and amazing musicians sang and played, there was joy, joy in Raylinda's gifts, joy in her gracious kindness, joy in the love that we shared with her. Though we gathered in pain and sorrow, nevertheless, there was joy. How, then, do we live rejoicing? How does this play out in our daily lives? First of all, joy gives us the courage to resist anxiety. Anyone here ever worry? Oh, come on, really? Yeah, you do, I know. I do, too. And it it takes a lot of energy, doesn't it, right? It wears us out, it keeps us awake at night, and it makes it hard for us to concentrate. And Paul knows this. I'm sure he did his fair share of worrying too. And he offers this advice. Do not worry about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. In everything. Let your requests be made known to God. No matter how big or how small your concerns are, if you are struggling, if you have a need, if you are afraid, there is someone who will help if only we dare to ask. Frederick Buechner writes, Paul does not deny that the worst things will happen finally to all of us, as indeed he must have had a strong suspicion they would soon happen to him. He does not try to minimize them. He does not try to explain them away as God's will or God's judgment or God's method of testing our spiritual fiber. He simply tells the Philippians that in spite of them, even in the thick of them, they are to keep in constant touch with the one who unimaginably transcends the worst things and also unimaginably transcends the best. In everything, Paul says, they are to keep on praying. Come hell or high water, they are to keep on asking, keep on thanking, above all, keep on making themselves known. He does not promise them that as a result they will be delivered from the worst things any more that Jesus himself was delivered from them. What he promises the Philippians instead is that the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. To live rejoicing is to trust in that promise and in the love that is ours in Christ, giving thanks for the blessings that come to us even in the midst of our need. The Lord is near, Paul tells the Philippians and us. Deliver joy, is all to share our joy with others. Paul tells the Philippians, let your gentleness be known to everyone. The Greek word that the New Revised Standard Bible uh, translates as gentleness has to do with generosity toward, to, toward others, and it has been translated in many other ways. Still, I like the idea of gentleness. It implies respect and kindness a willingness to give others the benefit of the doubt and to seek their best interests. It also reminds me of the words to a song written by Peter Byrne, a Jesuit priest. They read, We are simply asked to make gentle our bruised world, to be compassionate of all, including oneself. Then in the time left over, to repeat the the ancient tale and go the way of God's foolish ones. We share joy in many ways with others, not just with our actions, but also with our attitude. Philosopher Friedrich Nietzsche once leveled this Christian, this excuse me, this criticism at Christians, his that is Jesus' disciples should look more redeemed. I agree. When we sing words of joy with solemn faces, when we read scripture with serious voices, what are we telling others and ourselves about our faith? Okay, a song comes to mind. It goes like this.
2: Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Rejoice, rejoice, again I say rejoice, 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 again I say rejoice, rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. How many of you know that song?
0: Good. All right. So I invite you to think a moment about the things in which you rejoice. Maybe it's the love of your family or your friends. Maybe it's this community of faith. Maybe it's the beauty of nature or your fulfilling work or the grace of God, whatever gives you joy. So think about that for a minute. What gives you joy? Okay, now we're going to sing. Ready? I'm going to go a little lower. (laughs)
2: Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Rejoice, rejoice, again I say rejoice. Rejoice, rejoice, again I say rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say
0: rejoice. All right, this is how I'm seeing people singing. There's some people that are smiling, but most people are like, Angel I, Guy Pastor Lee, want us to sing, and I guess I'll sing, but I'll do it grudgingly. Let's try that again. See if you can pretend you're smiling, that you are actually joyful about something today. You're alive, right? All right, here we go. Rejoice
2: in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Rejoice, rejoice, again I say rejoice. Rejoice, rejoice, again I say rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice.
0: Much better. Good job. All right.
2: Did it help for you to
0: think about things that you were joyful about? Did that help? Yeah, I think, I think it did, because I think that's another key to living a life of rejoicing. Listen to Paul's words again. Finally, beloved, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is pleasing, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellent, if there is anything worthy of praise, Think about these things. William Loder interprets his words in this way. It's about filling one's mind with what Paul sees as signs of God's life. Not so that one will feel good, but because this is another way of filling ourselves with God's life and so allowing God's life to flow through us to the world around us. It's so easy to get caught up in the sorrows and struggle of lives. They're real, and they happen to us. But Paul's recommendation is this, not about making us feel better. It's about paying attention to the way that God is working in the world. It's about training ourselves to see with the eyes of faith instead of the mind of fear. And most of all, it's about trusting in the love of God that surrounds and sustains us. A love that, in another set of Paul's words, which neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation can separate us. In that love, in that grace we can and will rejoice. May it be so. Amen.